Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 82. For those of you new to the show, I'm comedian Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, online content. Dan Berg is a writer and entrepreneur who worked on Com Comedy and founded Fringe Funder, and most recently, the online streaming service Next Up, which aims to provide comedy fans with access to the best hour-long shows the UK has to offer. We talked about building your audience, getting off your arse and making your own luck in this industry and the future of online content. If online content is something that interests you or if you are someone who has any interest in building a fan base or is trying to build towards an hour show that will eventually be a product, will be something that you will want to sell tickets for, that you might want to sell merch for, that you will want to get touring. This is something that is definitely going to benefit you and it's something very interesting. I've also, uh, I've talked about it on there, I've also got Go Faster Stripe coming on who are really, really prolific in this as well and I'm talking to someone from Netflix. So this is kind of the first in a little series I've got of online content boosters, shall we say, or, or services that you can try and get your content onto. So uh, yeah, uh, Dan has also um, told me that if you are wanting to give Next Up a try, there is a discount code available to you, which is Ask the Industry, all one word, all capital letters. I believe maybe if it's not, if it's not, if you try it about capitals and it doesn't work, try it of all capitals. I'm not sure, right? But what it'll do is it'll give you 25% off your first three months after the initial three-month trial period. So you can sign up, you get a three-month, I think it is, and then it's like a trial period, and then you'll also get 25% off your next three months to try it out, to watch their content, to get used to the platform, to just see if it's for you. And it's a great thing. It's a really interesting platform. It's a really interesting concept. And I think it's going to be big. I think it's going to be massive. And it's definitely something to keep an eye out for. I think it's a great platform. I think it's a really interesting idea. It's... Um, it's it's such a British thing. Like I feel like it's becoming this kind of little uh, hidden gem in Britain because obviously Netflix is global and and it's becoming a streaming version of Go Faster. Go Faster Stripe, if you don't know, are a digital download platform where you can download an hour of a show rather than stream it online. Whereas this one, obviously, you can download it like and you can have it uh, offline on your app, but ultimately you uh, stream it online or you stream it. Anyway, you don't really have it as a as a physical entity, so uh, I think it's really worth just giving it a try, or at least just looking into it, and maybe just go to the website and have a little look. But without any more delays, this is Dan Berg. I am Daniel Berg. I'm one of the co-founders of Next Up Comedy, which is a Netflix-style platform specialising in stand-up, and I also founded Fringe Funder, which is a crowdfunding platform, especially for. Uh, fringe productions okay why a specific crowdfunding site for fringe shows then i i well I've, i think it started because i got quite into crowdfunding i think it's a really amazing thing and has really opened the gates for people who have projects of all sorts to get the funding they need to make them happen and i, I did a few projects with various people all all around the sort of comedy genre and I've been to the Edinburgh Fringe a lot of times and I've seen how tough it is to get a show up there and how to financially make it work. 
and I know there's a real community surrounding the Edinburgh Fringe and so rather than people having to trawl through Kickstarter or um, Indiegogo to find Edinburgh Fringe specific shows they want to help support I felt like the Edinburgh Fringe is an amazing community they deserve their own platform for people who want to support those projects and for people who want to take a project to the Fringe to get the funds they need. How are you, how are you getting the people, the community around Edinburgh on the site to basically look for shows to back? Because I assume that's what the dream would be, to have a mm-hmm. base of people that would maybe get a newsletter to go, these are the new shows, do you want to back them? Rather than the community around the show going out to their community saying, please back us. That's a good question. So there's work done on social media to help drive people towards Fringe Funder. It is still very early days and I think there is no instant way to build a a super big community. So we're starting to see people who are lurking on the website and you know back projects which they don't have a initial connection with. I think I think it just happens through word of mouth. I think people might back one project and then they see what other projects are on there. Social media as I mentioned we're listed in various sort of uh, fringe supporting things I think like uh, the fringe society others slip my mind but yeah it's I think building a community of people who are interested in supporting the arts and don't have a prior connection to a particular show is absolutely key and it's something I'm working quite hard on at the minute and you you're would you describe your because by day you're a comedian well by night you're a comedian and a right no <laughs> no I, I don't, don't I read do stand on, up I read on because you're with PBA, PBJ aren't you yes as yeah. a, for for writing oh okay yeah I've seen you written for stand-up, so I assume you do it. I know. Have you not? No. Written for stand-up. As in, like, for different uh, stand-up shows, like sketch shows and TV shows? Am I... Uh, I've done writing for, like, sitcoms. Never, like, something live at the Apollo or anything. I've never written stand-up for anyone or performed. Okay. Ignore that. (laughs) Clearly, I've extrapolated from research rather than... uh, It, It is on the internet somewhere that... I've been as reference as a comedian, but I, I've never done stand-up. Okay, well, uh, let's, let's finish off Fringe Finder and we'll okay. get back to the thing. Um, you mentioned about how expensive Edinburgh is, mm. and, and uh, pretty much any performer listening to this knows the extortionate costs of, of taking a show up. Do you think they're getting out of hand in the respect of, uh, from a performer's point of view? I don't know enough about... I don't know where the out-of-hand line is, because I've never been... I've never taken a show personally to the Fringe... So I don't really know. That's a rubbish answer, but I, I don't know where the line is for people and what they can afford. Or, I mean, from what I've heard, it's terrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I've, I'm in the slightly lucky position when, whenever I've gone to the fringe, it's either been in a, a work capacity or just going there as a punter. Because well, the way you're talking, I presume that you had sort of a, a better. I don't mean like that way, but like a better knowledge of, of the ins and outs of the costings for performers, maybe on personal level or maybe just you know, suppose it's from osmosis you're aware of this problem rather than firsthand. Um, yeah, I just yeah via osmosis and also I just know it's it's really tough. I don't th- I don't think I could say how much a sort of technician is over the course of a fringe run, but I know that it's often unaffordable and it's quite hard, and that's why. You, I, th- I think one thing I forgot to mention with Fringe Funders, why I set it up, is because Kickstarter and Indiegogo take 5% for their fee and Fringe Funder doesn't take anything. So one of the main goals is to allow people who are putting on a show to keep more of what they raise so they can go onto the show itself. So how does that make money for you? It, does, it doesn't. It's just uh, something which I thought was a good idea. It doesn't take much to set up. In the long run, it may make money, but I, I kind of just did it as a bit of a passion project because I thought, oh, it's a, a nice idea. So you make no money off that website? No. It's currently, last year it was, I, this year I've now changed it so when you're submitting a project to Fringe Funder, you have an, op- it says, there's a little box and it says, how much do you want to raise? How long do you want the campaign to run for? And then there's an optional box, which is, do you want to pledge a certain percentage of your final fee you raise towards Fringe Funder, Kickstarter, etc. take 5%. You can put zero if budgets are tight, or you can put something else if, you, if you're feeling generous or you want to work it into your overall raise. So it's a bit like the Fringe pay what you want system, 
which is nice. I'll see how that does. I mean, I, th I think it's just a, a, a thing I like to do. So I'm, I don't really mind. I don't have a, a super big business plan for it. I, I had a little browse on the website literally this morning just to get like a rough, because I've been on it a couple of times, but I was trying to get a rough amount that people sort of ask for. And I've seen it's only like a few grand usually. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you think that most people ask for the total cost of their going to Edinburgh? Or do you think most people are asking for just the show costs and their funding like their accommodation separately? <laughs> That is a good question. I, I don't know. I'll be Some people are definitely not asking for the total cost of going to Edinburgh because some of it's in the hundreds of pounds, which is, of course, fine. I think if you need X amount, try and raise X amount. Or So I, I don't know. I mean, how, are your, you've got more experience with the Edinburgh Fringe cost than me. What, what would you say is the, the average cost to go in total for a performer who's not having to pay one of the big four? Um... La the last Edinburgh I did, which was 2015, mm. cost me £2,300. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was with Just the Tonic, and I was a last minute move from Freestyville. So I was the, quite, I hate this phrase, but the refugee people moved <laughs> Is I that just, what people are called? Yeah, I hated <laughs> I hated that because I was like, that really undermines, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you can't. But anyway, people, it makes this a shorthand for people. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I was moved over, and so I had a very good deal from Daryl at Just Tonic, and I was very oh. grateful for that. Um, but yeah, so £2,300 was that one. The year before was 1100 mm -hmm. And the year before, I did a split show with a friend and it cost me about 650 That's great. So I think then it feels like... I mean, it's worth noting that the majority of shows currently and previously on Fringe Funder have been theatre projects. So I imagine there's probably more costs associated, which is maybe why the average is towards two grand. But... That's, I didn't realise a comedian could go to Edinburgh for so... It feels like quite a little, a little amount for over a month, given that you sort of pay rent in London for £800 or whatever. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I uh, rented a room. Uh, and in fact, I rented a flat and then rented all the rooms in the flat. You know, there were ways of saving money in that mm. respect. Um, also, I stayed near enough to the centre I could go home and cook. So, you know, I, I basically never ate out um, and, like, took food with me everywhere. So, you know, there, there were ways of saving money. Mm -hmm. But... I know that not everyone does those things and not everyone has the luxury of doing this. Like this year's definitely not going to cost me that. It's going to cost me more than two, £2,300. Um, it already has cost me more than that and I'm not there. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty apparent that that's going to be a problem. But no, it's interesting that you said it's theatre productions mainly then. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that you think, well, I don't want to put that word in your mouth, but you think that that's a relatively low amount of money then. I mean, do you think that it's still, based on those numbers then, feasible for a comedian to afford that? Um, so, so sorry would you mind repeating that is it based on two to three grand is it feasible for a comedian to go or based on the numbers you said based, well based on that I mean you, you, you've, you've mentioned that it's mainly theatre productions that are using it mm -hmm. at the moment anyway and if as you said it's a relatively low amount by comparison to theatre production costs do you think that Fringe Finder is, is needed for the comedy community as much as it is for other areas so I mean I would say if you want to go to the Edinburgh Fringe and you're a comedian and it is going to be a financial struggle, it is as needed as anyone else who needs the money to go to the Fringe, whether you're a theatre producer, you're taking up a dance show or a children's show. So it's potentially not about the, the value of whether it's a couple grand or even £500. I think I had one project on there of a, a guy who raised money for a coat because <laughs> what, for whatever reason he, wanted, he knew it was going to be rain and he needed a new coat he was happy to be quite upfront about it all and say I could probably just about afford everything else but it'd be, it would be nice to have a coat in Edinburgh and I don't want to take a jumper that was really nice a nice yeah. little project so I think if you do need money whatever amount it is I do think there's a place for you on Fringe Funder that sounded really cheesy and I apologise yeah. <laughs> that's like our slogan it's a soundbite that's <laughs> a definite soundbite um, if a cynical comedian was listening to this mm -hmm. and thinks that crowdfunding if you have to crowdfund for an Edinburgh show mm -hmm. you probably should wait until you have enough money to do it what would you say to that person if you have to crowdfund for an Edinburgh show you should wait until you're wealthy enough to afford it anyway yeah. it feels does feel very cynical as you say <laughs> um, well, I, uh, what I always tell anyone who's going up is it's a pay-to-play festival yeah you, you are paying to perform there mm -hmm. regardless of how you look at it so and that was that was a submitted question 
and I'm sure I keep them out anonymous, so I'm not, I can't tell you who it was. <laughs> who was it? Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you later. Uh, no, 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 but uh, the, the point is I keep them as anonymous as I can, and uh, yeah, but I, I just wondered what you, because when I read that, I was like, I have seen people be quite cynical towards other productions who've done crowdfunding before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a there's an element to that for comedians who feel like you know they, they should be able to put the, put the money up front and then earn it back kind of thing like that. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with the way they phrased it and go with that. What do you think of that? Well, I, to sort of, I think firstly, crowdfunding slightly needs defining because there's two ways of looking at it. One is you're asking people for money, and I I don't think that's right. I think if you put a project on something like Kickstarter or Fringe Fund or whatever it is, and people give you money, they have to be getting something of in, that inherent value back. Like if they pledge ten pounds, they should get a ticket to the show. I think I always try and advise people against £10 and getting something like um, a thank you because a thank you isn't worth £10. I think you almost have to treat it like a shop. And when you start slightly putting a higher value on the, the rewards you're giving for pledges, it's not putting a project on crowdfunding isn't about please can I have money, it's I'm doing this cool thing, do you want to be part of it and you'll get something really great in return. And once you reframe it like that, and, and I honestly think that's how people have to look at projects when they put them on crowdfunding, other they, otherwise they'll completely struggle to get people on board who aren't their best friends. I think that's, that I sort of hear that person's concern, but I think if you say to people, here's um, a reward, it's a ticket to the show and it's £10, I'm pre-selling, essentially, I don't really see the problem with that. The only problem I could see with that is the fringe make a lot of their running cost money from the commission on the tickets mm-hmm. and if you're pre if say someone pre-sold out the entire run yeah using your system yeah have they ever contacted you and tried to get involved in that respect no I think currently because it's only been going a year people have found ways round. I don't think it's ever been a sort of official pre-sale I think it's like <laughs> if you if I if you pledge and I give you a ticket, I'll sort of walk you in at the door, sort of thing. I mean, in the future, it would be great to have something a little bit more <laughs> official than that. But for now, I think people are finding clever ways around offering tickets, or you know, a lot of people who might want to pledge to a, a project on Fringe Funder might be people who can't attend the Fringe, so they'd like ten pounds and they'd like the next best thing, which might be a, a DVD recording of the show, even if it's just one camera at the back. I think it's really nice to, to have a, a reward which somehow represents the thing you made happen rather than a bit of merch which is one step removed. Because you mentioned there there were quite some good tips about how to make a good successful crowdfunder. Mm. From your experience of um, obviously you get to see pretty or you could potentially see every project out, out there on probably a spreadsheet or something. Mm. I mean what, what are the most common crowdfunding mistakes you see people making? The first one I'd say is not to do a video for your pitch. I know that sounds super basic, but I think you, I think, I mean, it goes without saying in this sort of day and age, video is the best way to sort of sell something. Like people would much prefer to see a really, someone who's putting up a project, which is really, who's really passionate about what they're doing, communicating through you, or not (laughs) through you, to you, down the lens, and then some cutaways to what they're doing and showing the hard work visually compared to a static image or a block of text. So first and foremost, do a video. And there's, I mean, I can go into quite a lot of detail. There's, there is a page which I put on Fringe Funder. If you click at the bottom and go to Creator's Advice, there's loads of advice on the video, I'd say, and also the rewards, the description. Um, but I, I presume that advice would be tips to make it good but I'm wondering like what mistakes people are making in terms of because obviously there's loads of like blogs about like sort of oh always include you know like a list of incentives break it Mm -hmm. up with like really cool colourful you know banners and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff but I'm wondering if you've noticed any patterns of things people are trying out that haven't worked or or anything that would and I'm not trying to be negative I'm just trying to find out what you're discovering as as someone who runs that. Apart from always trying to do a pitch video I've seen a few which are just doing imagery I'd say it re- it relates back to what I mentioned earlier, which is your rewards. I, th- I think there's a few too many campaigns who potentially don't put enough thought into making the rewards generally worth the value of the person, of the amount which somebody's pledging. I think you almost have to think of it as 
I've opened up a digital shop and I'm selling anything related to this campaign to no friends or family, is this reward worth that amount? Would I buy it at that value? And once you sort of create that litmus test for each reward, I think there's a lot more inventiveness around them and people come up with some really interesting things. And I think the common mistake of a variety of different ways of saying thank you, perhaps, isn't there and people come up with some really cool, interesting rewards. And in terms of them building a community, are you allowing people to communicate with their, obviously to get their details, to send them out the, the rewards, but I mean on there is there like a ability for people to keep track so they can like send out a bulletin saying we're halfway there, we're, how, how is your community on there for the people that are backing stuff? On Fringe Funder there's options for the, each project created to do updates throughout the campaign and after the campaign and when you post an update, whether it's text, image, you choose which backers it can go to or it can just be a, a public post and you can choose whether backers get notified via email if it's a super important we've launched update. If someone was listening to this who is a bit of a technophobe mm -hmm. and doesn't feel confident doing even not forget the video but just anything to do with the campaign because mm -hmm. they've never done one before and they're not sure of how to set it up and, and they don't want to look foolish maybe in front of potential mm -hmm. fans and backers what support does Fringe Funder give for those people who literally just, just don't even know where to start and they're, and they're just worried about something going live and it looking weird or bad on them or whatever I'd say drop me an email and I'd happily meet up with them and or talk to them over the phone and give them some high level advice and talk them through the necessary steps Do you want to give your email on? Yeah, info on what is the email on that? I think info at fringefunder.com goes to me and I'd happily give people advice. I think at the end of the day I've set it up to help people get stuff made so I'm more than happy to help people how I can really. Mm. No, definitely, definitely. I think you've answered everything on those. So we can move on to com comedy. Oh yeah. Although, because <laughs> well, this, is, this is the thing, I, wanna, I, I was going to try and make it clear to people the narrative of your your entrepreneurial investment mm -hmm. should we say because com comedy predates fringe funder yes so what was the reason for setting up com comedy i didn't set it up kenny <laughs> cavi and sarah henley set it up right and i think they set it up because they loved comedy they liked going to the Edinburgh fringe they wanted to interview comedians put on a monthly live night in hoxton and just be involved in it i came on board about a year later and I just left my job in TV comedy production and was trying to do more freelance work, saw this cool webby comedy company and said, hey, um, I actually, there was a job for an editor and I sort of came on board and half said I could, <laughs> some minor lie, and was like, oh, I can edit uh, comedy, I love what you're doing. So I sort of, I, I joined them from then on, really. It's essentially a YouTube channel, as I understand it. It's a, a YouTube channel and a monthly live night it doesn't yeah. because everyone involved in com comedy now works at next up it's not very active if at all but we've left it online because there's a lot of good content there yeah but I, i'm just sort of i'm um, trying to give everyone a kind of understanding of it pre next up if that makes sense mm -hmm. so because you because you would run the night record a lot of it record interviews and put them on the internet yeah was the purpose of that to try and get the get the night out in in a marketing way or was it like separated from that as, as its own entity what, how did you see it so it was that was a while ago let me have a think I think first and foremost Com Comedy was a a YouTube channel and the way we generated content for that was through our monthly live night and through going to the Edinburgh Fringe and interviewing and filming a lot of shows there so I think everything did feed into the YouTube channel and the brand of Com Comedy being a place where you could watch little interviews with comedians and short snippets from their show. And how? And in terms of building your audience on there, how successful would you say versus how much you wanted? Were you? It was really we we were doing really well. It was we were getting. I mean, I think it's worth saying. Com Comedy was always a bit of a, it was a side project. So when we were at Com Comedy, it wasn't a full-time job for any of us. We all had our own individual, whether it's video, comedy, theatre thing going on more full-time. 
So Com Comedy was a bit of a side project which paid for itself. So it, it afforded us to go to the fringe every year, film loads of shows, put on a live night. And it was, we call it now a bit of a hobby project. But it did well, like it, it paid for itself. The YouTube ad revenue did really well. And then one year without any drop in it, we kept increasing our views but the ad revenue for YouTube completely fell out the bottom, so it completely lost its own little bit of funding, which was made our hobby project something which at least self-sustained to something which doesn't anymore. And I think it came at a really good time because that forced us to have a look at well, what else, there's still a really big untapped market for people who want to watch comedy online. There's not really a UK home for that. And then that, I guess that sort of negative helps spur next up I think what made you go to make next up rather than for example because I okay so I work in social media as my day job and I know that year was around 2000 well for, for my knowledge of working in brands it was about 2014 when the ad money fell out the bottom of the industry mm -hmm. and it was because there was too much content and not mm -hmm. enough advertisers to, to pay for that and I uh, for example um, the, the CP so CPM which is just a cost per thousand views went from something like five pound to like a pound in a couple of months from the brands I was working on and I'm assuming if that was at your end that's that's quite a drop especially if there's that many people involved so that was around the same time that Patreon, which I assume you're fairly familiar with, yep. uh, started up. And what, what, why didn't you, what was the reason for going, let's make a hub, even though it, it doesn't exist and I get that, and not let's keep this going as well and make it, try and see if it will fund if there's a community that you've already been sort of nurturing? I think that what next up is, is a bit of a step removed from com comedy. So it felt like it did need its own new entity. And it was nice to have a bit of a fresh start as well, I think. So it would have, I think it might have felt, a, we could have continued it, continued it on. I, I was actually quite late to Patreon. I think I've only seen it for the past two years or so. But I, I do think like we felt like we did what we wanted to do with Com Comedy. We made some really, you know, nice friends in the industry. We got to see a lot of good comedy, film it. A lot of people liked the videos we put up. It felt like Next Up was such a different thing. It just deserved its own branding or whatever. Okay, that no, makes sense. Yeah. Odd question, but you funded the uh, Next Up project through your own money. You didn't have like a venture capitalist, as I understand it, or any kind of outsider funding. So for Next Up, we were given a, we did a lot of work up front ourselves, a lot of development and research, and put together projections and what we think it could look like. And then we were given a tiny bit of seed money from, a, they're not an investment firm, they're a, a technology company who also know the comedy sphere quite well. So we were given a tiny bit of seed money to launch our product and to show people that the concept works. Was there a reason you didn't crowdfund it? Um, like through Crowdcube or, or Kickstarter maybe, or... Or even, or even like adjusting your own system by that point and maybe going, can we... Uh, you know, do you, do you, would you buy a subscription model to this if everyone pledged, or if we get five thousand, I don't know, whatever the number was, subscriptions ahead of time? Then we can, we know we've got that ahead, so we can start. I see. I mean, we may have gone to that as a plan B. I think to show. I mean, I, th I think we showed demand to investors by showing some early research and doing questionnaires. I think it's probably just a little bit easier if it's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario to have the cash on the table to go out and make the product and then to get the customers in rather than because you wouldn't really have anything to show the customers you'd sort of say there's this thing which might be a thing in a few in six months are you in can you have can we have some money please is a little bit of a harder sell I think than the angel investment companies and the people who backed us to say look we've got this great idea and they it was basically convincing I guess one person over thousands would it have been any harder or easier for you to convince the community at Com Comedy and friends of the community and anyone else who you kind of knew who are comedians or writers to potentially pledge to invest a subscription ahead of time for a project that doesn't exist versus how hard it is for someone to get someone to pledge for a show at the fringe that doesn't yet exist. It would be harder because I think a show is something perhaps more people are familiar with like it's got a it's a very tangible thing like it's comedian x doing a show about y and people have a reference for that whereas i think what we're doing with next up largely depends on the acts who are on there what the platform might look like 
and I think without being able to show people that up front it would probably be a lot harder to get them to commit to paying a subscription. Fair enough. Yeah. I was just trying to first of all preempt anyone being cynical about it but also given you're quite familiar with the crowdfunding model I didn't understand why that wouldn't have been a, a, a plan A for that. Oh I see. Yeah, I, th- I mean, for our, going forward, we are looking at potentially doing rounds, not crowdfunding, but crowd equity. Is that the right term? Like crowdcube, seeders. So when people pledge, they don't get a, um, a show ticket or a postcard. They get an actual stake in the company at the same rate of any investor putting in. How do you decide who goes on next up? <laughs> That's a very good question. We meet as a team, and the emphasis for us is definitely on quality rather than um, someone being a big household name or I don't know having a load of Twitter followers or something like that so we try and level the playing field in terms of how notable somebody is already we try to have a really good diverse selection so that means as well as people from different backgrounds and having different angles on the world different genres of comedy as well we try and give a really diverse range and really try and reflect the comedy scene. There's not really much other criteria, to be honest. I think you have to have an, uh, an hour or a full show as opposed to a 20-minute spot. I think that's it. I really hope I haven't forgotten a really crucial bit of <laughs> criteria, but I think we look at... Every, I think what I like about Next Up is that we can just judge shows on, like, is that something which we think is a good piece of comedy and is it reflective of the comedy scene in a positive way? in terms of the, if you're looking at our offering as a whole. So yeah, that's it. We're, we're, we're nice in that respect, I think. So would you say that you all have a similar sense of humour? Or is it, is it quite often you'll go in and say, I want this comedian, and they'll go, well, I don't find that funny, and you have to kind of talk it out? Because I assume there's gonna, there could potentially be a problem if you had too many senses of humour that were similar, because mm-hmm. then you'll end up with a very you know sort of one dimensional totally yeah how does that work we try and take some of the subjectivity if that's the right word out of it so if we're meeting and we're trying to work out who to film it won't be like i think he or she is funny because of x it will be this person has there's i think there's other metrics for looking at whether it's good comedy because you're absolutely right if we all do it based on our own opinions solely it will get a little bit one sense of humour and we, we, we're very aware there's other sense of humours who we want to appeal to who want to have acts on who appeal to them as well it's currently not an issue we don't try and bring in our own views too much unless someone's like I don't know I've seen them and they're definitely racist or something yeah. <laughs> that hasn't been an issue yeah I was going to say so if you're a racist comedian <laughs> don't even bother email again uh, which is fair I think yeah, yeah. Um, if if someone was listening to this and they said Netflix or, or Amazon or whoever, whoever the big player you want to imagine at mm-hmm. this point is have not a formula but they, they know they know who to get on and how to market it so they make their money back and obviously they're only going for like the biggest people and so people at the level that potentially you put on in some cases wouldn't get a look in in that mm-hmm. and so they've deemed them as uncommercially viable by their standards yeah how do you go about validating that they are? Well, for us, I don't think... I think Netflix, firstly, have a much broader audience than us. So they've got subscribers on their channel who... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Probably like potentially more mainstream stand-up comedy. We, we, I don't actually think... Netflix or other services are necessarily doing an amazing job on reflecting the demand clearly shown on the comedy scene. So if you look at the, if you go to the Edinburgh Festival, you'll see an incredible variety of acts doing all sorts of different comedy. And if you look on television or Netflix, where someone might say they've done a really good job on working out who's commercially viable, there there is a definite mismatch on like who they think is good compared to reflecting the demand shown on the scene so I would argue I'm not sure they are making the best c- commercial decisions because they're clearly missing out on so much good comedy which there's clear demand shown for people to go see in person and people who will be able to tour shows but as you said don't get a look in in Netflix so there's a definite gap which we're trying to fill with by giving them a platform I mean I guess there could be an argument that I imagine the reason for them doing that is that it does make commercial sense because they have to go for the most potentially broader or more mainstream acts or people who are more accessible. But I mean, I, I, th- I have a lot of faith in the people we've chosen. I think I'm, re- I'm, I'm really proud of the offering we've got. I think we are doing a lot to try and readdress that imbalance of... Readdress? Readdress. Address. Address the imbalance of what we think is a, a gap between people going to see a comedian in person and then them not being, being able to get their show filmed for television or other platforms. A lot of what you said there was uh, there's a demand for people, they go out and watch these people in live, mm-hmm. but they're not like getting a look in on TV or, mm. or having their things recorded. I mean, some comedians are better live than recorded. Oh, yeah. I would say all are. Okay. Like, we in no way want to be a substitute for the live comedy industry. I think at the end of the day, it's just not always possible to go see live comedy because you've not seen that comedian, that comedian isn't anywhere near you, you might not live anywhere near where they're touring, tickets might be sold out, you might not be able to afford it. There's a variety of barriers to entry to seeing a comedian live, and I think for when that is, a, is, is the case, we want to be the next best thing. For, from my perspective, some, uh, and I don't know if you've got this feature because I'm not a performer on, I assume you've got like a performer login so they can see their own downloads, and uh, sorry, views and stuff. I mean, from my perspective, what, what would be amazing is if you could follow a performer so you know when their new content comes out mm-hmm. and I could see who, where people have followed me. So like if, it, if they, when they log in, their account says they're in London and then I could see how many people are in a city so I could go to that city if they want, you know, if there was enough people there to yep. like come and see me. Do you give out that sort of stats to the performers to help them kind of build that live audience or yes so every quarter we provide performers with stats of who's we haven't quite got the the detail you mentioned of someone can say i want to see them in x but we do give them viewing statistics of you know there's a spike in your traffic from here or there a lot of your viewers are watching this i think what we do try and do is drive people to see that act in person so I mentioned earlier we don't want to be a substitute for the live industry to go one further we we 100% want to be be complementary to the live industry so we're working on every video having um, been able to push people towards the gig listing pages of the comedian which is a slightly uh, like similar to what you've said to a certain extent but I think the more we can get someone to go see a comedian live the better because I, I totally agree if I had the choice of seeing a comedian live or on telly I'd unless I'm sort of really can't be bothered to move the house, (laughs) uh, I'd always choose live. One of the big things that really pisses me off about on-demand players and and on-demand services is that, say I watch watch a programme on BBC One, uh, let's say Mrs Brown's Boys, I never would, but let's say I was, right? And I I decide I want to watch that episode again, so I go to the iPlayer and I watch it again. The video that's on on the TV, that was on the TV, that's now on iPlayer, hasn't changed at all. Like they've just moved the content to a new platform and it's still essentially the same content, but I am watching it completely differently on my TV as I would do on the laptop. 
I mean, I'm like close to the screen. I'm, I could be in bed instead of on the sofa or whatever. What do you do to kind of adjust to the fact that they're not watching it live and they're watching it potentially on their phone, on a train or anything like that? The content, the, the actual video, the way it's edited, which in an ideal world would be different depending on what device you're, you're watching it on. Not necessarily a device. So the way you can, where you consume, basically, as we both know, when you make content, you try and make it as applicable to the platform you're going to have it on as possible mm -hmm. so that it works the best and you're also keeping in mind the consumer and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're, if you're complementing the live scene, are you changing, so when you, when you put the video online, has it got like intros to it so that you get that slightly different feel to when you would just go in and sit down and watch the show? Has it got like bonus content? Like what, what are you doing that makes it a different viewing experience online as opposed to if they go and see it live? Got you, okay. The way in which they were filmed, and this was mainly due to Stuart Laws who runs Turtle Canyon Comedy, who um, did a lot of the, well he did all of our original filmings and worked really closely with us and the acts to make it happen. Rather than try and do it differently, he tried, he worked really hard to try and convey the feeling of being there in person to watching it at home. So there was lots of shots through heads, a few sort of bits where a comedian might make a mistake, with their permission we left it in because that I, th I think everyone has a real I think particularly in the next up camp and Stu I think as well thinks a lot of stand-up which is filmed for telly is very clinical it's like plonk two cameras at the back on tripods and shoot the cleanest show ever and then as anyone knows who's ever been to a comedy gig there's that fear of like something could fuck up or he buggered that bit up or she didn't mean to say that line like it's a lot more thrilling and exciting so we'd, we'd actually rather than try to work to the platform I think we try to work extra hard to convey the live environment on the platform I think. Okay and you guys do the recordings yourself? It's a mix so some of our content is content which already exists elsewhere so that's through various providers will be given to us and we'll put it on the platform and then the other half is original filming where we do filming of comedians. <laughs> so, you, so you don't mind too much if some comedian have it on sale somewhere else as well as on your platform? What we try to avoid 100% is it being made free somewhere else because obviously our subscribers will feel shortchanged if they're paying £3.50 for a subscription. We don't want it free on YouTube as well. So that's something we try not to budge on and I don't think we have as yet. If a comedian has an ex a show which is in existence already and it depends on the deal to be honest I think most we're not we don't sort of play hardball too much if they want to keep selling DVDs or offer it as a direct download via their website that's something we've worked with in the past and we're, we're more than happy to I think I don't think we'd lose subscribers if they think oh that one show I could have got as a direct download for X amount so I, I, I don't think it's much of a conflict with what we're doing how many new shows do you try and get on every month? We've been doing one a week since launch and going forward we're trying to launch two a week. So we've very much created a whip to our own back with, with content. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so in terms of, so if someone were to subscribe, essentially, say they were to, I mean, how many, how many have you got on there now? Do you know how many? 80, I think. 80. So if someone, so if someone was ill and having a binge watch of comedy mm -hmm. and got through all 80, their £3.50 a month would be to get, uh, what's that, eight new hours a month of comedy. Fair play for, uh, congratulations whoever's done that. I feel like they yeah. deserve at least one month free yeah. if they do that. Um, but that would mean that their £3.50 is essentially them prepaying for eight new hours worth of content every month. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, essentially, if, when we're releasing two a week. Just, I'm just trying to, like, put my mindset on if I, if someone was subscribing to the system what they're actually getting for their money because obviously with something like Netflix and I hate to keep bringing them up but with something like Netflix you often feel like you're getting a lot more content than you are because of the way they display it and because of the amount of advertising they put into saying loads of free original content you know all that kind of stuff so it's always good especially at the grassroots level to be able to put a number of you in your head to go this is the amount of original content I'm actually paying for whereas like I said with Netflix I had an account with them for a while, I got rid of it, but it was a tenor, and I didn't actually know how much new stuff was coming on or how to discover it. Um, and I presume that you're pushing through the idea of discovery quite a bit. I think it's a, a bit like going to the Edinburgh Fringe, I think, where people may want to see one or two names which they're familiar with, 
and then we're really trying to push people to see four or five names which they may not have heard of and hopefully by very means that the content is on our site it's of a certain quality threshold which people trust us so people therefore sort of trust us as a curator and they don't mind taking a bit of a gamble so yeah we we really want to push people into discovering new new talent we we see some really nice bits on twitter and uh, facebook of like oh just found this person's show gonna go see them live or something like that so i think it is working what what features and tools do your does your on-demand player have that you probably insisted on it having that you couldn't find on other on-demand players that you think i really wish more people knew that or more people used that i i was really pleased we had download for offline viewing because i quite like it if you're sort of going on a you have a long journey and I, I always sort of stock up my phone with like a really good series and I'm well aware that Netflix now do do that but I was really pleased at launch that we could we could do that and they couldn't um, so I'm really pleased we have download for offline viewing we have a feature which allows people to resume across devices so they could be watching on their iPad and then start watching on their laptop and it will pick up from where they left off which I think is really nice to be honest because we only launched in November we, our original plan was we had all these incredible feature ideas like SoundCloud style in video commenting where you can comment on a specific minute. thought it was great and I still do think that's a really good idea. And then as we, this was a couple, um, probably about a year ago now, as we were developing the product we started to learn about lean development which is a sort of like startup-y word which is where you launch your, initially, your it's called your MVP, your minimum viable product, which is the core essence of what your business is about. And then you only develop features which there's been proven demand for from your initial user base. So after a lot of fun in-house, sort of coming up with all these incredible ideas, and then we had a, a few enlightening chats about this whole process of lean development, we did strip it right back to it's full-length stand-up shows on a subscription video on demand platform let's get that off the ground and then let's put some time and effort into trying to gauge what our users want to see and then building it from them because I think the way that's a popular way startups manage now is because tech costs are so high you don't want to second guess what your entire fan base may want so how are you communicating with your fans are you just asking them for advice are they tweeting you abuse saying give us that <laughs> like what's what or both potentially we don't we actually we luckily don't get much abuse on twitter we get some polite questions i think um we have a feedback area at i think it's community.nextupcomedy.com where users can submit ideas for the platform and vote on existing ideas and they can also do that for performers as well. So they can vote on, they can suggest a performer, and they can also vote on uh, performers who've already been submitted. We also, I mean, I think all all the sort of directors at Com Comedy as well. It's not it's not just me. There's three other co-founders. We're all also constantly listening for feature ideas from people and keeping our our ears to the street, as it were. Do you, do you <laughs> say someone got enough votes? Mm -hmm. Would you just email that comedian and go? congratulations you have enough votes can we come and see the show because we need to know if it's any good like what, what's the or do you keep it quite quiet so that if you go and you don't like it you don't have to disappoint the committee like what, what's the protocol um it's still early days to be honest it's we launched in november and i, I think that feedback console was launched about a month later it weigh it 100 percent weighs in to when we're selecting who to film and who to put on our platform and it's so useful to see which comedians of our community want to see because there's, it's such a, a sometimes a bit of a tricky workflow to get a comedian on board, it's unfortunately not often as simple as sort of emailing them being like, hey, we'd love to film your show. If we have a really good pre-existing relationship with that comedian directly or through their agent, then that could be done. And I think with our next raft of filming, hopefully we'll be able to tick off a few of the, the names which are more highly voted on. But it, it weighs in the, the user voting amongst other factors with who to have on our platform. Where do you see online and on-demand content going in the next couple of years, especially in terms of uh, the amount of comedians who are making their own shows and putting them online for sale in certain places or, or like you said, or for free on YouTube? What, what do you think is going to be like the next kind of big trend in that area? I think a subscription video-on-demand platform yeah. <laughs> called Next Up. <laughs> So Somebody's what's going to surpass us, essentially? Well, no, not even, not even <laughs> that. What, what, because it could... All right, well, let's do it this way then. What do you see as 
your competitors and who do you see as your competitors but how do you what do you see them doing in the next few years that you'll either have to keep up with or diversify away from because you must be obviously keeping quite close tabs on them as well Mm -hmm. Mm. so what do i think our competitors will do and we have to catch up with i think there's some very interesting areas around virtual reality on the horizon it's early days but i think we're we're quite well placed to start exploring them there's some cool stuff there i think I mean, it's an. In- I mean, it, it, I think it will engulf entertainment. It's a much more immersive way of enjoying anything. So it feels like there'll probably be a natural progression to what we're doing there in some way. I don't know. I feel like I should maybe feed some fake ones and then <laughs> make someone else try and do. Them. No, I don't. I. I think virtual reality, 3D films. You know those 360 films. Oh yeah, they're cool. I. I don't. The. Pro- I don't know how that would work with stand-up though, because it's kind of a face, one direction sort of in experience isn't it like you're an audience looking straight on yeah you say i mean i've been in a few shows where you kind of get a bit bored and you're up in the corner or you might want to like you know if there's some props on the stage you might want to just have a quick look yeah while that's true and it's there are some more sort of shows which involve the whole stage than a, a person at the mic i think that's something we're totally up for exploring i think a, f- a few of us in the team are quite nerdy and so we're always excited by those sorts of things Realistically, if someone had a show on, say someone had a show on Next Up and it got a thousand views, because I assume you do it on a CPM basis like most advertising revenue, or do you do it, because on your website it says per view, Yeah. so do you have like a flat fee you pay every performer for their views? No, so it works out that 50% of our net revenue goes back to rights holders and that's proportioned equally and fairly based so it's, sorry it's not proportioned equally but it's proportioned fairly based on the minutes watched and nothing else so no one is um at a diff- and any sort of advantage to another other than did any uh, did anyone watch my show or a certain amount of it so it's not a set because our what determines the value an act gets is our subscriber revenue as opposed to individual views of a video interesting okay and you've just been nominated for a chortle thank you very much yeah um, that's all. No, um, <laughs> no uh, how's, how's that helped in terms of getting you more exposure? Has it made a difference? Have you seen any uptake as a result? It was definitely really... We haven't taken a look at the analytics yet. We, we don't have a thing where it's like, how did you hear about us? Which we, we probably should. So it's hard to know if it caused uh, many people to do it. But I think internally, it was really, really nice. We're obviously comedy nerds, so we know of Chortle, and it's really lovely to be nominated in that category alongside some other really impressive webby comedy things. So it did a lot for our spirit, at, at the very least. I mean, I'm sure it did a lot for industry respect as well, but we haven't really got a, a way of gauging it. But, I mean, the fact you've mentioned it is enough. To be fair, I did a lot of research. <laughs> okay, you really dug deep. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, aside from your background as a comedian, I've, I've done loads of research. Based on what you've said, I'm pretty sure your answer is going to be you'd be up for trying it at some point. But I was going to say, would you ever invest into original sitcom ideas or anything beyond ours? Or is that at the moment you're just sticking to the core mission statement of the project, should we say? I think if we did diversify into that, it would be quite a few years away. As you said, our core offering is full shows of a live comedy performance done in front of a crowd. So we're trying to give the live event which you would go to in person to somebody digitally and obviously a sitcom or a sketch is, is not in front of an audience so it's one, it is one removed I think it, I, it, there's no there's plans potentially on the very far horizon to get into that but, but not in the immediate future and, and in terms of your community on your website of course you said you've got a forum there and stuff do you use um, how, how active are you in getting involved in conversations with them quite active we answer if there's ever a question, we always answer it pretty much straight away. I think a lot, a lot of people as well are always quite surprised that we reply to emails. I don't know who, what other companies people are dealing with, but we get a lot of a few questions via email or via the, the sort of ticketing thing via our help desk, and we get back to people pretty promptly. Like, I think our, we, we communicate pretty well. We reply on Twitter. I think at the end of the day, our members are really important to us, and they're also like our fellow we sort of use the term fellow comedy fans. Like, at the end of the day, we're just trying to do like a nice thing, I think, for the comedy industry, help preserve and showcase really good long-form comedy. 
for ourselves because it didn't exist because we were them and our audience so I think we're, we're open to sort of chatting to members sort of come down and say hello to us in a, in a, a nice way I think <laughs> yeah definitely if you were putting the stuff up for free it would be a case of tagging it correctly giving it the right title and building the content so building the community around the content that people could discover of course because you're technically sort of behind a paywall system mm -hmm. you could have the best content ever but you, but you need people to know it's there in order to come and take a punt on it or even, even subscribe. Yeah. How are you building that subscriber base? We're doing a lot of early testing, like, all, like a lot of early marketing. So we're not putting all our eggs into one basket just yet of a big bus campaign. I think we are trying to target the like us, like hardcore comedy fans. So there's targeted posts and some sponsorship and things of we know the, the places those people go. There's also the existing comedians network. So I think a lot of people who are the comedians fans will want to see their full show. And a lot of comedians, when they get put on Next Up, obviously do a shout out to their show being on there. So I think there's already a bit of a captive audience for each comedian. That was a bit of a long-winded way of saying, I think there's a lot of testing going on digitally and a lot of it's very targeted to hardcore comedy fans. A lot of comedians over the time of the internet have had reservations about putting stuff online for free. So that might have started way back when YouTube was sort of newer and comedians were like, why should I burn my material? Why should I put it on there kind of thing? And obviously now that's become much more of a, a standard for comedians to put a video online or a show online to have a calling card. How do you think that's impacting, first of all, Next Up, but, but the industry at large? So... How's that impacting Next Up? I think, in a, in a strange way, it almost helps the evolution of Next Up because back in the com comedy days, we had to work really hard to gain comedians' trust to, to allow us to put some of their material online on our YouTube channel. And I completely understand why that was necessary because, you know, c comedians have a can only really tell a joke is not going to be as funny the second time so they don't want everyone seeing it so the fact that we gave them edit approval we worked really hard to say what can we can't we put online help build the trust for the relationships which we now use in next up furthermore i think next we the reason why next up is essentially behind a paywall even if it has a free trial is because we did some research and the overall overwhelming response was comedians aren't going to want to put their current show in its entirety online, not behind a paywall. So, in a, and that, that happened to coincide with a rise of niche subscription video on demand services from a, the consumer side. So it kind of perfectly came to a, a peak at once, I think. So do you ever encourage comedians to maybe take a snippet of the show and put it on their YouTube channel and then link to you or? Yeah, definitely. I think we, we do that for them if they're on our channel. So we'll ask them what segment they don't mind us promoting on YouTube and social media. And on top of that, I think whether you're on our platform or not, I do think there's definitely something to be said for the power of YouTube advertising. There's a, there's a captive audience there who are searching for stand-up clips and that will help your exposure. I think as long as you're not giving away some killer end of show reveal, I, I would personally go for it. Definitely last year's show, I would, if I was a comedian, I'd put my previous shows up there for people to see or give them to next up whatever you prefer i think it's it's great sort of i don't see the disadvantages personally yeah have, have comedians got more understanding of sharing free content than now yes definitely i think it's always trailed the music industry slightly and i think we're finally at a place where it's as you said it's becoming a lot more of an accepted thing there is, I think it has to be referenced that, as I said earlier, jokes can't be retold to the same effect multiple times in the same way seeing something else on YouTube can be. So that, that has to be recognised, I think. But I don't think that is a blank, means a blanket no to anything of your material online. I think, I think it's personally a good, it's worth the sacrifice for the exposure and the, the marketing potential. I mean, I, I think, and obviously, well then I don't know some comedians might just be like and I think they're well entitled to this view if you're not getting me a hundred percent I don't want you to see me at all and I think that's completely fair enough so I guess it will vary some I don't really know the inner thoughts of com all comedians but I, I imagine there will be a lot who will be like 
a lot of my show is about being there in the moment, in person, and looking at me in the eyes, for example. I don't know. And so for them, maybe... Well, but then you could argue putting a little bit online will help bring people into that environment. Jokes obviously need context for them to work. And if you took a snippet of a joke and put it online for exposure, do you ever turn around to a comedian and go, I understand why you like that joke, but out of context, it might look wrong, dodgy, politically incorrect, and have to guide them in that way? What are you offering Um, I think we may have done previously during the com comedy days, I think we sort of give comedians a bit of guidance as to which segments we put online. So we'll say, I mean, we normally just say, like, is there a standalone segment which works in and amongst itself and you don't need any wider context to get? And I think I don't think there's been any occasions with Next Up where we've had to be like, that makes no sense out of context. They, we, they kind of get it, I think. Okay, cool. Um, these are the final quick-fire questions okay. that I ask everyone. Um, uh, thing is, I always ask, what's the best show you've ever seen? But I feel like asking you that is going to cause an issue internally. I can say one not on the <laughs> platform. No, what was the best show I've ever seen? I definitely, at least in the top three, Dr. Brown's kids show, I thought. And I may have seen it on because I was on a hangover, so I was on a bit of a sort of fragile state. But it was such a beautiful, pure comedy show. It was really, really, really good. That stands out for me. So I guess if that springs to mind. I also really liked um, Kieran Hodgson's Lance. For me, that is one hell of a show. I think, I think I've seen it about three or four times. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, what is the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it? Oh, my God. <laughs> In business or life, is that? I keep it vague Dear on purpose. Dear Lord, what a question to air the answer of. Uh, I, keep, I keep it I, vague uh, on purpose. So you, my you biggest can... ever mistake. And how did you overcome it? Say again? And how did you overcome it? Oh my Lord, there's a, an assumption that I overcame it. <laughs> Let's deal with the first half first. Okay. Let's go with that. My biggest ever mistake. I can't think. I Nothing's jumping out of like... Because I want to almost... I feel like that has to resonate on a... A really deep level to be a super big mistake like not asking some girl I fancied to marry me or something <laughs> Could be but, but I haven't had that experience yet so I guess everything's gonna feel real trivial I don't know every girl you ask to marry uh, you marries you yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know I make a, I make mistakes I'm not sure I overcome them but I don't know I can't think of a super big one uh, I'm trying to think of the ones that would because you kind of answered a lot of them okay who do you think is the most underrated person in the comedy industry? I don't know. Michael McIntyre? No, I don't know. <laughs> He's not rated. Yeah. I actually that was a joke. I actually quite like him. Uh, I have no idea. I don't I think I probably I don't really think I know the inner workings of the comedy industry well enough to know a sort of unearthed gem who no one else would appreciate. Okay. Sorry if I'm if someone's listening who's sort of shaking their fist at who's one of my friends who's we forgotten. Friends. I've forgotten. Uh, but I, I I guess I assume every I don't know what other people don't appreciate as well. Okay, so it's hard to know. That's fair enough. Um, Actually, no. I'll, I'll, can I give a general one? Yeah, go on. I think in sitcoms, uh, cam. Maybe this comes from I have a little bit of a background in camera operating. I think a huge part of. Uh, sitcom's ability to be good a lot of it is in the camera operating like the timing of when you whip pan away from someone and I guess it's more in mockumentaries or you crash zoom into someone I think that's a really underappreciated skill but maybe that just comes from the director so you, you don't really need it well, fair enough um, normally I would ask what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given but I'm going to change it to what would if you could give one bit of advice to a comedian who wants to use Fringe Funder, mm -hmm. and if you give one bit of advice to a comedian who wants to get their show on Next Up, what would they be? So, for a comedian on Fringe Funder, I would say, I think my gut says make a really, really good video, like put all of your your efforts into that and make it funny, stupid, different compelling short 
and yeah don't don't skimp on the video and for next up was that for an advice for a comedian who wants to be on next up yeah uh have a <laughs> is it useful to say have a good show <laughs> well the problem i mean that's great advice but the problem with that is is that good is a really subjective word that's true that's uh, it's useless advice now you, you point that out <laughs> I'm but it's basically I'm saying be good yeah, yeah. um okay but by my that, no yeah <laughs> that is rubbish advice i'd say drop us an email and, and don't be afraid to prod us we we respond normally within like 24 hours to the first bit and then it might just be the case we're not in a position to to get any more content on board but then just don't be a friend afraid to give a friendly prod if, if we lose track and be nice <laughs> That's, that should be general advice for everyone <laughs> thank you very much for coming be nice. on. Well, thank you for having me that was dan i really liked i i'm a massive fan of online content i don't know if i've said that before yes i do i say it all the bloody time i even wrote a book about it called how to make a living by working for free and it's all about building an audience around your content online so if you want to buy a copy of that five pound uh digitally on my website or i think it's 10 pound 11 pound including posts and packaging as a paperback version have a little look it's really fun um I'm, I'm a big believer in scratching your own itch first so you at least know there's one customer out there for the thing you're making and I feel like that's exactly what he and the group of them are doing. I love how they're building a community around their project and, and around the existing scene in Edinburgh and just helping out comedians, like putting a real effort behind making sure that comedians are at the heart of the product, as well as comedy fans. It feels like a really good, uh, I'm talking about Fringe Finder and Next Up at this point, but it feels like a really good uh, central place for both those two things to meet so that they can talk and they can uh, express their gratitude or their art in the way that they feel most comfortable and to be supported in doing that. So if you want to check either of those things out, there'll be links in the show notes, there's links on the website, uh, There's, you know all the things, just Google it if you, you, know, if you really want to um, not use the links that I've provided for some reason. As I said before, uh, as I said before the episode, Dan has very kindly given Ask the Industry podcast listeners a discount code. It's the code is Ask the Industry, all capital letters. I'm pretty sure it's all capital letters. You need to put in. Um, it'll give you 25% off three months after the initial three month trial. So that's. I mean, that's amazing. That's just really kind of him. So if you're listening to this now and you are thinking, you know what, I haven't watched enough stand-up recently, but I have been listening to Simon's podcast and I'm up to date and I've done everything for him like a review and shared a link. Maybe I'll go and reward myself and watch some stand-up. Well, first of all, thank you very much for being very supportive of my show. And second of all, have a little discount code. Say thank you from me and from Dan, obviously. So please do go and support those projects. See if it's for you. See if you need to fund the fringe. See if you've got an excess amount of money that you need to raise in a very short space of time or that, or that you just want a coat. <laughs> you need a new coat for Edinburgh because it is cold up there. As he said, someone else has done that now. It's not an unheard of thing to try. Um, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.